turning your Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I'm sure that's no big surprise. Back in our series on the Great Hall of Faith, we look to Hebrews 11 and verse 27. Just one verse that we'll look at today. And let me say that we've slowed down a little bit on Moses, which I think is fine because there's so much said about Moses. So let's read 11, chapter 11 and verse 27. It says, By faith... He forsook Egypt. That's Moses. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. One of the things that I've noticed as we have done this series on the Hall of Faith is if you look at the preceding chapter where it says that we are not of those that draw back. The just shall live by faith. We are not of them that draw back. I think we can clearly see that faith is a forward-moving action. It doesn't hang on to the past other than to learn from the past, but it is a forward-looking action. I want you to think about how many people are hung up on the past and they can't get over the past and maybe the wounds that have been inflicted and the things that they've experienced. And it doesn't mean there's not a way to process that. There is a way. But it has to do with a forward-looking movement that is faith. Faith looks forward. And it says that by faith, Moses forsook. And the subject this morning is by faith, we forsake. By faith, we forsake. You see, Moses had to go out of Egypt. And not only that, but Egypt had to go out of Moses. And it's interesting because we would not normally look at this action of, uh, as an action of faith. We would think it's an action of fear. You know, by faith, he ran away. By faith, he fled. You know, some of the greatest true stories of all time in history, and then some of the greatest fictionalized stories of all time in, in literature, have to do with situations like what Moses faced. You know, good people put in difficult situations that they didn't necessarily bring on themselves. And it looks as though it's so dark and so bleak and there's no way they can recover. There's no way out of this. And at the last minute, you know, there's victory, good triumphs over evil. Think about General Douglas MacArthur. I think about that situation when he was in the Philippines and had to leave. You know, he suffered one of the worst military defeats that ever occurred whenever the Japanese attacked where he was in the Philippines and just wiped out a great portion of the Pacific forces. And they had, he had to, by night, flee to Australia. And he said, when he left, he said, I shall return. <laughs> he was a religious man, and he was also a very well-known character among that time period and in history now. And so he ultimately did return, and when he stepped on the shores, they filmed it. They actually, one of the you know, significant historical moments that was actually filmed. And MacArthur steps into the waters onto the beach, you know, with his corncob pipe. Some of y'all may have seen that picture. And he says, I have returned. And he also sent out a radio broadcast through the Philippines. I just doesn't get any better than that. And by the way, in that radio broadcast, the first thing he did was to invoke the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> Go listen to it. He invoked the Lord God. The Lord God Almighty has blessed him to come back and return. 
It just doesn't get any better than victories like that. You might think of victories like D-Day, where it just looked like impossible odds. You might think of other situations in history. And then think of good literature, things like Tolkien's work, uh, where you have two little hobbits that would be the farthest thing from warriors you could ever see. And yet, based on those two little hobbits' actions, this incredible force of evil is overcome. You could think of the works of C.S. Lewis. There's so many where children are integral in the winning of victories in the land of Narnia. We all are programmed to think in terms of we love that kind of come from behind win. A few years ago, whenever the the great comeback in in the Super Bowl, when Tom Brady led a comeback and they scored like 28 or more points in the fourth quarter, second half, that was the most amazing comeback that's ever occurred. We love that kind of stuff. Now, if you were for the other team, I know you didn't love that too much. But you can appreciate just how amazing that was. And I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't get any better than what we have in the true account right here of Moses, who in his mind, you will recall, God has burdened him and revealed to him to some degree or another that he's the deliverer. He knows that he is the deliverer. And yet the timing is just not right. So, you remember Moses said, he assumed from Acts 7 that his brothers and sisters in Israel would realize he's the deliverer. Don't they know that I'm the man? (laughs) And yet, here he is by faith, not by fear, but by faith he's fleeing. Now, I'm telling you, the only way that Moses could do what he did, to forsake Egypt like he did, knowing that he was the deliverer, I'm going to go over two or three or four options that Moses had when this occurred and he had to flee. It's not like he only had one choice. But I'm telling you, he made the right choice by faith. So Moses, remember, has this value system that values being reproached and insulted and condemned for serving the God of Israel and Christ. He has a value system that that values being condemned for the name of Christ more than all the treasures in Egypt. Some of you young guys may have an Xbox, and you may, you know, in my days it was an Atari, and I, it was nothing comparable, you know, to the Xbox. Real life looking people running around as opposed to, you know, the little blips and things that we had on the computer screen. But we loved our Atari, you know, and I valued that thing. And some of you may value your Xbox. Now you think about how you value that item or whatever it may be for you, your, you know, your clothes, your uh, your bank account. You know, think about what you value. And Moses assessed that. He looked at that Xbox. He looked at that bank account. He looked at the gold and the silver. And he assessed it and he said, this is not as valuable as being over here and getting slapped in the face for serving the Lord. Now that, you can't do that by natural sense. It doesn't make any natural sense. You see? But that was Moses' value system. He understood, and and it wasn't just based on, hey, I like to suffer pain. No, he understood the end result of the promise of God. He understood that they were going out of Egypt. You see, God had promised that. So if you understand the promise of God, you are going out of Egypt one day. This is not your home. Then the pleasures and the treasures of what you have here are not as important as the pleasure and the treasure of eternity that is to come. Now again, we won't just sit back and twiddle our thumbs and say, well, I'll just wait for eternity. Moses didn't do that, did he? (laughs) No, he used his value system and he made an assessment 
and he acted in faith right then and there. The first thing he decided was, if I'm the deliverer, I need to be with my people. That's a pretty good assumption right there, isn't it? If I'm the deliverer, I need to be with my people. So he goes down to the people and he sees them suffering. And he sees an Egyptian hurting one of his brethren. I don't know if that meant it was Aaron. I don't know if it meant it was Aaron or if it meant it was just one of the Israelite brethren. And so he looks this way, he looks that way, and he kills the Egyptian because he thinks he's the deliverer. You see, now he's wanted as a criminal. Now, I question seriously whether or not, you see, he was defending another. And that in the law, that if somebody is hurting someone in the law, you can defend another person when you see that happening. As a matter of fact, sometimes if a person doesn't intervene when they see something happen to another person, they could be criminally culpable if they don't help another person. So Moses intervenes in a non-criminal way. He defends another person who's being hurt. Remember, that's an Egyptian guard or slave driver hurting another person, an Israelite, a slave. So he acted in defense of that person, which, by the way, is proof of his decision to forsake Egypt and to, get, to leave behind his own adoption right and go back to his birthright. But his solution, notice what Moses' solution was. He'd grown up in Egypt. He'd seen a lot of things in Egypt. It's very likely that he had been a general in the Egyptian army and performed great acts in war for the Egyptians. So all he knew was violence. So in his mind, he's thinking, well, blow for blow. That's how I'll be the deliverer. So he, blow, he, he delivers a blow to this Egyptian, kills him. You see, that's pretty brash, isn't it? Moses assumes that blow for blow by violence is how we're going to come out. So he kills the Egyptian, buries him. Well, the next day, he sees two Israelites fighting. And he says, why would you fight? You're brothers. And they say, are you, one of them says, are you going to kill me? Like you killed the Egyptian? And he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, you heard the old saying, you know, your sins will find you out. <laughs> no good deed goes unpunished in this situation. <laughs> And not only that, the word has gotten around that Moses has killed the Egyptian among the Israelites and the word has gotten back to the king somehow. And so the king issues a death warrant. Now, Moses assesses the situation and the conclusion that he came to was by faith to forsake or flee Egypt. Normally we'd say, well, he was a chicken and he ran away. But let's think about Moses' options. First of all, he could have stayed in Egypt and died because the Egyptian king said, put him to death. The Pharaoh said, kill him. That's one option. That's not a very good one, is it? Stay and die. Another is that he could stay and recant. It's very likely that he could have gone to his mother and pleaded with his mother and said, Mom, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I was the deliverer. He could have just recanted. And then gone before the king and said, Oh, forgive me, great Pharaoh. I don't know what I was thinking. I had it all wrong. And you know, it's possible that the Pharaoh could say, Okay, okay, well, you know, it's just one Egyptian. And they had plenty of them to go around. He could have stayed and recanted. Or he could have stayed and fought. He could have got up an army. He believed it was blow for blow, apparently, that that's how they were going to come out. So he could have circled up the Israelites and said, let's fight. But of those four options to stay and die, to stay and recant, to stay and fight, or to flee, Moses, by faith, he fled. We wouldn't normally say that was an act of faith, would we? But... Moses was submitting to God's timetable. I believe that Moses realized, okay, I've gotten ahead of myself. And Moses didn't realize probably how much of Egypt he had in him. 
And not only did he need to go out of Egypt, but Egypt needed to go out of him. So it says that by faith he forsook Egypt. Now the word forsook or forsake there is it's a unique word. And it is like what we would say to leave behind. It's like that, but it's more severe. It is used of one who's called away and cannot take another with him. It's especially significant when it's used of the dying. Now you can think about that. When, when a person dies, they, in a sense, have forsaken this world. And no matter how bad you want to go with them, you can't go with them, right? You know, when my dad passed away in January 1st, a lot, we, were, we would love to have gone with him. <laughs> because he's, he's in a better place. He's better off. Think about that when your loved ones died. Sister Julie talking about her aunt. It's a better place they're going to. But there's a forsaking there, isn't it? You know, my dad forsook this world when he took his last breath and he couldn't take us with him. You see that? That's the type of forsaking that we're talking about here. It means to abandon. It means to desert. It's more severe than leaving. Think about it. Every day I get up and I go to work, I leave for work, but a great portion of my heart is still there at home and I'm going to work. Why? So I can come back home. Y'all have heard Elder David Crawford share the account here in this pulpit of when he was about 12 years old. His mother came in, had dinner before them, for the kids there. After they finished eating or during the course of the meal, she said, I'm leaving. And she left and she never came back. That's severe, isn't it? You see, this type of leaving is a severe leaving. It is a forsaking. I want to share with you some other occurrences of where this happens in the Scripture. And think about it. As we look at this, what would the Lord have us forsake? You know, if we laid our schedule down before the Lord, you say, oh, the preacher's gone to meddling now. I'm, I'm asking you, what, what if you laid your schedule down, if I laid my schedule down before the Lord, and I said, Lord, it's yours, just take it. Chop it, cut it up, cut and paste it, you know, throw it out, whatever you need to do. I wonder on my schedule... What, would, what the Lord would say, Tim, you don't need this and you don't need that. You need to slow down with this. You need to, you need to pick it up with this prayer part and this study part. <laughs> you ever think about things like that? If we laid our schedule down before the Lord, and you can do that with anything, not just your schedule. If we laid it down before the Lord, what would the Lord leave in and what would the Lord say needs to go? Now let's consider some occurrences of this word forsake. It's a severe word. Okay, in Mark 10 and 7, and in Ephesians 5 and 31, I want to get the one from Mark 10, but it's the same word in Ephesians 5 and 31. Listen to this. This is, this is good stuff now. <laughs> this sort of caught me off guard when I read it. Mark 10 and 7, For this cause, Jesus says, shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That word leave right there is the severe word forsake. <laughs> now, is that not true? How many families suffer whenever a husband or, a, or a, whenever a child goes and becomes a husband or, a, or goes and becomes a wife and there's not enough of a forsaking there or a leaving there, the ties are not cut enough and it causes problems sometimes, doesn't it? Anybody can suffer from that because, hey, especially having experienced that myself, when one leaves the nest, that's not a, that's not a happy thing. 
I mean, it's a needful thing. It's an appropriate thing, but it's not a happy thing. Think about one less little, little chick there in your, that's not in your nest anymore. And so there's an adjustment that takes place. There is a forsaking that takes, takes place there. You know, there is, here, here's the deal. Whenever some, a young man or a young woman goes out and they leave their father and their mother, they are establishing a new home. They're establishing a new family. Regardless, kids may come down the road, but when they come together and they're in a covenant marriage, that's a new family. God sees that as separate and distinct from the little nest that they were in. And unless that couple leave and cleave to one another, if they forsake what they had and establish something new, unless they're willing to do that, it's going to be rough waters. You see, it, now it doesn't mean that they're ugly or mean to their, uh, their, their parents. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that there has to be some boundaries that are set there. You see? And parents of those children that have flown out of the nest or soon to fly out of the nest, we need to keep that in mind. We, don't need to, we need to respect the fact that there is a leaving and a cleaving there. That's the way God intended it. And it is a forsaking. Oh, moms and dads, don't you feel forsaken in some sense when they do that? It may just be that they, they go out and establish their own home and they're not married. That, that can be a real sense of forsaking, but especially when they go and they get married, part of you thinks, well, I'm being forsaken. But it's natural. It's supposed to happen that way. We need to respect it. That's the word where it says Moses forsook Egypt. He left it behind. He didn't take anybody with him. Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, but your daughter, your son, they can't take you with you when they establish that marriage. <laughs> That'd be kind of weird. They can't take you with them. Acts 2 and 31 is another instance of a forsaking. And this is kind of an opposite. It says, and this is a quote from the book of Psalms, speaking of Jesus, when his body was left in the grave, it says that he was not forsaken in the grave. Let's read that in Acts 2 and 31 as the preacher is preaching there. He says, Acts 2 and 31, He's seeing this, David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or the grave, neither his flesh did seek corruption. It says that God did not forsake fully and completely and abandon Jesus in the grave. We know that he was resurrected three days and three nights later. It's the same word. Thank goodness that's the case there. Now, if you experience leaving and cleaving, whether it's as a, as a future husband, future spy, uh, wife, or if you experience, as I hope you do, leaving and forsaking Egypt in ways in your life. That's an ongoing thing you'll experience throughout your life if you're in tune spiritually. You Expect to be accused. Expect to have accusations. It happens. In Luke 10 and verse 40, you have the very familiar account of Mary and Martha. You know, Martha's in the kitchen and she's cooking up a storm and she's working up a storm inside her heart (laughs) and part of that is she is upset because she thinks mary has forsaken her notice it says in verse 40 martha was cumbered about much serving and came to jesus and said lord dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone that word left right there is the word forsaken You see the accusation she's making? Now listen, that's something, isn't it? Here is Mary at the feet of Jesus doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's not cumbered with much serving. She's not cumbered with much cooking. She's not cumbered with cleaning up the house. But she is sitting at the feet of Jesus doing what's right. Enjoying the sweet fellowship of the presence of the Son of God in the flesh. And Martha says, she's forsaken me. (laughs) 
that, that's what you can expect whenever you forsake Egypt. Whenever you forsake the things of the world. You're going to get accusations. Well, so-and-so doesn't run with us anymore. They're, they don't answer my call as much. They don't hang out with me as much. Or they don't do what they used to do anymore. They've just forsaken me. See, that's a natural thing. And, and it's natural. Remember, it's not spiritual. Now, the one that I want to spend the most time talking about is found in Luke, the fifth chapter. I love this one. Luke, the fifth chapter. And we look, verse 27 and 28. Good old Matthew, the publican. It says in verse 27 that after these things, Jesus went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up and followed him. The word left all right there is the same word for forsake. The same word where Moses forsook Egypt. He left it not caring for what he was leaving. He left it not worrying about what he was leaving behind. And nobody else could go with him. Now, I want you to think about Matthew. We read, and I preached to you before, about Peter, James, John, Andrew, some of the others. And I can see at least three times, maybe four, where those men were called away from fishing again and again and again. Three, three times, maybe four times. You know, the Lord said, come follow me. They put down their nets and they followed him. It says they forsook their nets. It's a different word. It's a different word than this word. And then they followed Jesus for a little while. And then what, guess what? Jesus goes back. He calls them again. Come on, come on. I'll make you fishers of men. Come on. The book of John, the 20th chapter, we read where Peter just gave up uh, being an apostle. He said, I'm just going to go back to fishing. What did Jesus do? He calls him again and again. But not Matthew. Not Matthew. We ought to have a lot of respect for Matthew. Because this right here is the only time that Jesus called him away from what he was doing. It's the first time and it's the last time. It says that Matthew, it says that he left all. Now think about what Matthew left. Very similar to some of the experiences that Moses had. Matthew was leaving behind everything. He was rich. The publicans were rich. They were much hated among the people of Israel, but they were very well off. They were very rich. He had a nice house. He had everything in order. He must have had a very nice, comfortable living because he goes from uh, being called away from being a publican immediately into this great, huge feast that created a stir in the community, so much so that it drew the Pharisees to the feast to come and turn their noses up and look and see what was going on there. You see, Matthew had money, he had clothes, he had status, he was hated, but that just wasn't enough, you see, because all of those things, guess what? They didn't involve Jesus. You hear me? You can have all of those things, child of God. You can have money, you can have status, you can have um, reputation, you can have clothes, you can have everything you can imagine. But I'm going to tell you, if it doesn't involve Jesus, you're never going to be happy. Never going to be satisfied. Because think about the word happy. It has to do with happenstance. Your circumstance determine how you feel. And all those things make you feel good. Well, just ask those that have had those things and continue to aspire for those things. They're miserable. Those things will not bring happiness. You see, Matthew was not happy. Can y'all picture him sitting there? I have to give him, I have to give him my plug for the greatest television show that's ever been on the tube, in my opinion. And I don't say that lightly. And it's the, the series, The Chosen. If you haven't seen that, you need to go home and binge watch it this afternoon. Yes, Brother Tim is authorizing and telling you, you can binge watch something. Not everything, but just The Chosen, okay? 
I hadn't made it through an episode. I've watched it three times now. I hadn't made it through an episode yet without bawling my eyes out. Now, y'all may think I'm weird, and that's fine. If you don't bawl your eyes out, that doesn't mean anything. But that's just how it affects me. But, but there's a scene in there where Jesus comes along, and Matthew is there taking up the money from the people, and he's got his centurion there to protect him. And Jesus walks by the receipt of custody, and he says, Follow me. And Matthew takes his key, hands it to the centurion, and he follows Jesus, and he never looks back. And the centurion in the series, he says, are you telling me that you're going to leave all of this? And Matthew says, yes. You know why? Because Christ is worthy. Matthew gives up everything and he never looks back. Isn't Isn't that to be admired? To give up everything and never look back. That's by faith. That's the forsaking by faith. That's the kind of attitude that we ought to have when we discover things in our life like Moses did, like Matthew did. That's the attitude that we ought to have is to forsake it and never look back. To leave it behind, not caring for it. I'll tell you a funny. Elder Josh Coker, he called me about a year and a half ago. We talked pretty regularly. And uh, he said, Brother Tim, I just want to let you know uh, he works for Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield. He said, I just want to let you know that I put in for a demotion. I said, you did what? He said, I put in for a demotion. He said, I'm too busy. I got too much going on. I can't serve the Lord like I want to. I just laughed and laughed. I said, Brother Josh, you're the only person in the history of the world that I've ever encountered that instead of putting in for a promotion at work, you put in for a demotion. And guess what? When he put in for the demotion, he was denied. (laughs) But I'm happy to tell you that he put in for that demotion again this year, and he was granted his demotion. Now, What person in their natural right mind could stand behind a wooden podium and and rejoice and laugh and praise God over one of their dear friends who just got demoted at work? And not only that, they put in for a demotion. I tell you, that is in the mindset of forsaking the things of Egypt, forsaking the things of the world, and going after the things of God. I think you would agree with me that Brother Josh's value system is a little different than what the world's value system is. Praise God for Brother Josh doing that. Only person I've ever known that put in for a demotion and got it. (laughs) You see, this type of forsaking means you're leaving it behind. And in a sense, you know, you've heard there was an old Eagles song called Already Gone. I like that song. Uh, In a sense, before you even leave, when you've got that in your heart and that value system is directing how you think, you're already gone. Now, let me say this to you. In an in a eternal sense. Let me tell you something. In the mind of Christ, your life is hid in Christ. And in that sense, you are already gone. You are hid with Him in Christ. Names written in the Lamb's book of life. And you are already gone in His mind. That's why the Lord can say in Romans 8, where He says He's foreknown you, He's predestinated you, He's called you all past tense, He's justified you past tense, and it says He's glorified you past tense, but that part hadn't occurred yet. You know why? Because in the mind of God and in the covenant of redemption and the promises of the Lord among themselves, you're already gone. Now, if you can walk around with that kind of mindset and temptation comes upon you, you can be like Joseph whenever the Potiphar's wife comes upon you and says, lie with me. No, you can get yourself out. You can go away from that. You can flee from that. Because Joseph said, I serve something higher than this natural flesh. You see? Isn't that great? Joseph, in his mind, he knew he was already gone. He still had some troubles to deal with in life, though, didn't he? In in Moses' mind, he's already gone. We ought to be thinking day by day, Lord, in one sense, I'm already gone. 
I'm already with you. My life is hid in you. Therefore, I want to live my life right now as though I am in you. See? Moses left, and in leaving like this, in a sense, you can never go back. I'll tell you this, you're never the same. That's for sure. I have said this before, and I'll say it again, but I am glad. I am glad that I did not meet Neil Honey when I was in Birmingham. He was at UAB and I was at Sanford. I'm glad that I didn't meet him. Because I think if I had met him, he's such a good guitar player, and I was so into music at that time. I think that's what we would have based our relationship on. As a matter of fact, we've talked about a couple concerts. There was a Clint Black concert, 1991 or 92. Neil said, I was at that concert. I So was I. I might have been sitting right next to future elder Neil Honey. But I'm glad that I didn't meet Neil Honey at that time. Because I wasn't ready to establish relationships based on the kingdom of God. I was ready to establish relationships on the kingdom of Tim. <laughs> you see? I needed some Egypt burn out of me. I'm so glad I didn't meet him back then. We've talked about that. Praise God we didn't meet back then because guess what? Guess where those folks are? There's, those, those were some good folks that I encountered. Some good folks that I played music with. I love them. One of them was one of my best friends. <laughs> but because I established that relationship on the kingdom of Tim, I had to leave Egypt. You see, I had to go out because Egypt had to go out of me. Now, I wish I could sit here and tell you that Egypt goes out of you and it's gone forever. That's not the case. <laughs> There's still that call from Egypt calling and saying, go back to sin, go back to this, go back to the addiction. You see, when you leave like this, in a sense, you can never go back. Let me, let me say this to you, because you might be looking at the truth of God, the truth of God of salvation by grace and redemption and sanctification and predestination and uh, foreknowledge and, and Christ justifying us on the cross and the immediate regeneration of the, uh, in the new birth. Those things may be something that's new to you. And when you come to see those things, I want you to know there is a sense that you can never go back. When you see the purity and the holiness of a holy God that would save you from your sins and deliver you out of Egypt, all based on what He does, what the Lord does, and not based on what you do, there's something that affects you in that. You see, the, the truth was designed to be that way. People say, well, you know, the way things are today, you know, that, that's just kind of how things have gone. Let me tell you why the way things are the way they are today. When this country was founded, there were more truth believers around. They believed in total depravity. They believed in unconditional election. It's in the history books. And now, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody walking down the road and ask them if they've ever heard of it. I'm telling you, you want to see revival? Then embrace the truth of salvation by grace. You want to see revival in our nation? It's going to come from the preaching of the truth when people's hearts are convicted by understanding what God has done for them, not what I can do for God. That's what most people are thinking. What can I do for God? You know, what, what will best serve me that I can best make my mark and serve God? Listen, if you see yourself as that way, you're kind of like Moses was before he left Egypt. God, Moses was saying, hey, I'm the deliverer. I'm the man. I can kill this guy and defend my brother and surely they'll all follow me. Moses had too much of Egypt in him. Moses had to go out. He was 40 years in Egypt. Guess how long he was out in the desert? 40 years. 40 years of filling up on Egypt, 40 years of Egypt being burnt out of him. And I'm telling you, whenever Moses came out, he went out and he was gone for 40 years. And when he comes back, he didn't look like an Egyptian anymore. He didn't walk like an Egyptian. He didn't talk like an Egyptian anymore. 
You remember when Moses went out, it says that he went to Midian, and it says that he sat down by a well. Y'all ever gone and sat down by a well? I'm not just, I'm speaking figuratively. You picture Moses there, he's killed a man, thought he was doing the right thing, thought he was doing God's work. The, the, uh, the Pharaoh issued a death warrant for him, and he goes out, and he sits down by that well, and he, I could just see him sitting there with his head down in his hands and just thinking, what have I done? I thought I was the deliverer. And of course, he helps the priests of Midian's daughters there to feed their flocks. And the, the girls, the daughters, go back and tell their father. What do they say? They say, an Egyptian helped us. You know why? Because Moses looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He wore clothes like an Egyptian. And he acted like an Egyptian. Forty years down the road, he's been a shepherd in the desert. He's endured all those years, probably thinking that I'm not the deliverer. I'm not the one. Moses was this impetuous, brash, and rash young man at 40 years old. And he got there in the desert for 40 years. And guess what? It says that he, God says, he is the meekest man on the face of the earth. Oh, I wish that upon every one of you. To have that kind of experience where you go from thinking you're all that to realizing you're all nothing. (laughs) I mean, God is everything. And then guess what? Then you're ready for service to God. See? 40 years in the desert. He He came back. He didn't look like an Egyptian. He didn't walk like an Egyptian. He didn't talk like an Egyptian. You could not tell that he was from Egypt anymore. So for us today, as we close our thoughts this morning, to forsake Egypt... Today, it means that we move, we are moved from what we see with our natural eyes to things that we can't see. You can't see heaven yet. You can't see Jesus Christ walking around on the earth like he did almost 2,000 years ago. But by, by the Spirit, you can feel it. By the faith, you can see it with the eye of faith. And you can endure. You can be steadfast expecting that final deliverance one sweet day. You see, we need to go out of Egypt, and we also need Egypt to go out of us. Now, I challenge you. I give you two or three challenges here on going out of Egypt and Egypt going out of us. Fast one week. I'm not talking about food. If I had to fast for a week, I'd probably be dead. Go ahead and plan my funeral. But fast for one week without Fearing In or Fox Fear Network. Those are their new names, by the way. Y'all hadn't heard that. It's not CNN anymore. It's Fearing In and Fox Fear Network. Fast for a week. I challenge you, fast for a week off of Fearing In and Fox Fear Network and see where your, your, your fear temperature is at the end of that week. See where it is. I challenge you. Fast for one week, young folks, maybe old folks, older folks, without binge watching something other than the chosen <laughs> Fast for one week without binge watching something for hour upon hour and meditate for some of that time upon a a verse of Scripture, upon the things of God. See where your thoughts are at the end of that week. If somebody's suffering from great temptation, maybe fast for one week without those drinking buddies or those party buddies. See where you are. I challenge you. Go out of Egypt. And see how much of Egypt will go out of you. From bad habits to addictions. What about this? Fast from the mentality of thinking that you're a victim. That's a big one, isn't it? We are living in a land of victims. I'm being victimized. Everything's against me. Let me tell you, nobody has ever been victimized like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Nobody. And he was not of the victim mentality, even though he went through what he went through for us. He was not of the victim mentality. He was of the victor mentality because he saw the end result. He didn't see what was just right there in front of him. He saw the end result. Ultimately, you see, Christ is the ultimate example of forsaking. What happened when he was there on the cross? At that pivotal moment, whenever it was time for him to give up the ghost, whenever the punishment of the the wicked men there and the Roman uh, centurions and the Sanhedrin and the Pilate's men and Herod's men, whenever that had brought him to the point, if he's hanging there on the cross and the lights have turned out because God would not suffer his son to be seen in such agony and the wrath of God has poured out upon the son because of your sins and because of my sins, what does Christ say? Christ says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, the very fact that you're able to forsake Egypt is because God forsook His own Son. It says over in the book of Isaiah, the 54th chapter, which is significant because it's after the 53rd where He talks about the man of sorrow. The Lord says in Isaiah 54, For a small moment have I forsaken thee. Just for a moment in the scope of time, God forsook His own Son so that He could pay for your sins. You see that? God knows what it means to forsake Egypt. God knows what it means to go out and care nothing about those things. Christ determined and cried out and said, My Father has forsaken me for your sake. So if you think that you can't identify with how you forsake Egypt and how Egypt comes out of you, just look at the Son of God who was perfect, didn't have Egypt in Him, and God forsook Him for a small moment, but did not suffer His soul to be left in the grave forsook him for a small moment and guess what (laughs) you're redeemed you're redeemed the lord abandoned him why so you could spend your life forsaking egypt going out of egypt and egypt coming out of you moses went from a brash impetuous possibly arrogant Man, when he was in Egypt, then 40 years later, Lord willing, we'll pick up another day and we see him as the meekest man on the earth. He left by ceasing to care for Egypt. He'd abandoned it. He deserted it. Is it time that you go and apply for a demotion? Do you need to apply for a demotion? If you're doing it for the sake of forsaking Egypt, and Egypt going out of you, then I praise God. Look to the example of Moses. Look to the example of Matthew. Most importantly, look to the example of Christ, who was forsaken in a way that we will spend eternity trying to comprehend. One of the best ways that you can forsake Egypt, say, Brother Tim, I got a lot of ties to this group, that group, the other group, friends, whatever. I got a lot of ties there. And I want you to know there's no tie that you have in this life that is greater than the tie that will carry you into eternity, which the Lord Jesus Christ has chosen to place upon you. (laughs) There's nothing in Egypt. There's no riches. There's no relationship. There's nothing that can be better or more steady than that. And let me tell you where that tie points you. (laughs) The tie that Christ has put in your heart, it points you to the kingdom of God. The church of God. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter how you acted. It's a new day. The Lord says today is the day to follow Him. And regardless of the consequences, I'm going to tell you, He's worthy. 
whatever consequence you face, whatever belittling you get, the reproaches for serving God are greater than the treasures, all the treasures of Egypt. You say, what are you talking about, Brother Tim? Come forward. Join the church. Follow the Lord in New Testament baptism. Matthew left everything he had, got up, and followed the Lord, and he never looked back. May the Lord bless us to do that.